Challenge, a podcast that takes the mystery out of cultivating mental wellness. Today's question is, how's your psychological intelligence? Psychological intelligence helps us to develop our psychological part of self, which is incredibly helpful when it comes to understanding, connection, and belonging. While we all have heard the term psychology a lot, psychological intelligence helps us understand our minds and our behaviors with more clarity. It also gives us insight into the minds and behaviors of others. Perhaps you think that psychology is a class or something you do in the therapist's office. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our psychological intelligence helps us apply the many learnings and tools from the field of psychology to increase our mental wellness in everyday life. This podcast will help you gain more insight and skill building into what is one of my favorite parts of self, the psychological part of self. More on this in a bit, but first, let me check in with last week's inner challenge, which focused on social intelligence. I don't mean how's your dating life, or did you participate in a book club, or have an extraordinary number of likes on your social media accounts. But rather, I'm interested in if you were able to notice the process of how, when, and with whom you shared information about yourself. Did you notice when you shared an opinion with someone how they responded? Did they receive your opinion with judgment or curiosity? Perhaps you became aware of how your body recoils a bit when you feel judged. Maybe you had a moment when you relaxed when your opinion or emotions were validated. Did you stop yourself from being judgmental of a person whose value was different than yours? and instead use one of my favorite questions? Help me understand why you believe that. I've never really considered that point of view. I was really impressed with one of my clients who said she was able to hold her husband's sadness when one of his work projects was not chosen. She reported that she usually would try to fix his sadness by saying, ah, the project didn't really matter long-term for his career, or take him out to dinner to provide a distraction from his disappointment. But this time she just said, I'm so sorry. You worked so hard on that. And she gave him a hug. She said that the hug lasted a lot longer than normal and that he seemed to not be so grumpy the rest of the night. Yes, social intelligence leads to intimacy. Maybe you had an experience where someone listened to you really listened, and you took in the wonderful feeling of being understood. Hopefully, you gave this type of connection, this type of listening, to someone else. Yes, intimacy can lead to connection, but it also can lead to disconnection, where we don't feel understood, on the same page as another, or when our emotions get the best of us, and we react in ways that are harmful to ourself or others. This is where the tools of psychological intelligence can come in and really make a difference. Just a reminder, if you like my one-pagers, go to my website, 
at mjmurrayvachon.com. And under the podcast tab, you can find the one-pager that goes along with this podcast. As we all know, one of the most basic needs we have, equal to food, shelter, and health, is social connection. We need friends. We need families. We need coworkers we love to work with. The few skills I'm going to teach you in this podcast connected to our psychological part of self really help us to up our game when it comes to cultivating healthy social connections that are rooted in appropriate intimacy. What I mean by appropriate intimacy is knowing that the opinions, emotions, and values we share at work will be different than the ones we share with our life partner or closest friends. I define psychological intelligence as the knowledge and understanding we cultivate in order to understand the relational dynamics that occur within ourselves and others. To develop psychological intelligence, we use the tool of curiosity so we can observe and understand our reactions to the many experiences of day-to-day living. Being curious and observing helps us to gain insight to the many complex demands asked of our mind and body every day. If we train ourselves to observe, yes, notice on the inside, we can gain insights which lead us to awarenesses that help us move from being reactive or triggered to being reflective. Doing our inner work helps us to move from reaction to reflection, which allows us to develop healthy coping strategies with ourself and others. Remember the woman who yelled at the barista? She let her emotional flooding get the best of her. The fruit of psychological intelligence helps us to manage ourselves so we treat others the way we want to be treated. For example, in helping people react with less defensiveness, which often comes from anger, I ask them to observe how their body reacts when they get defensive. Defensiveness is often an automatic response any of us have when we are in a conversation where we feel threatened, put down, or not acknowledged. Our body reacts, and through observation, we can become aware that we are holding our breath, clenching our fist, or have a desire to flee the room. This self-reflection can provide a signal asking us to take a few breaths, calm ourselves down, so our defensiveness does not lead us into reacting in ways that are disconnecting. When we notice what's going on inside of us, through observation and curiosity, we'll be led to self-reflection, a foundational tool of psychological intelligence. Self-reflection is basically a desire to understand ourself on a more deeper and authentic level. Sometimes this is easy, And other times, self-reflection is quite difficult, especially when we have to look at parts of ourself that need more development or behaviors that are not in line with our values. We can also use reflection as a way to better understand others, various situations, and the many systems we live in. Yes, this is a much more complex world than we often admit to ourselves. Besides bringing us to more understanding, these tools of psychological intelligence can help us be more kind, empathetic, and compassionate. 
which only increases connection and belonging. And yes, this helps us cultivate mental wellness. It just makes us feel better. Psychological intelligence helps us to see our life as a story where our identity and relationships continue to change and develop over time. When we see our life as a story, I think we're freed up a bit to not take ourselves so seriously, to give ourselves permission to grow and change. We see our development as a process and embrace the challenge of learning how to respond to whatever it is life throws at us, instead of spending chapter after chapter arguing, complaining, or protesting that things should be different. We also become aware that we are not in control as much as we would like and learn to understand how events and other people play such significant roles in how our life story unfolds. Psychological intelligence encourages us to live what I call a 3D life, where we see life not as either or, but both and, with all its challenges and unpredictability as being expected. It nudges us to consider things from a wider perspective, using notice on the inside to propel us to be curious and observe and reflect in order to get a fuller understanding. Yes, to see 3D. It is only natural to be overly focused on our reactions, our needs, our opinions, our emotions, and our values at first. But it's a big world out there with lots of interesting ways to live it. We must train ourselves to allow psychological intelligence to help us right-size our eye, where the goal is to be as considerate and curious to the ways of others as we are certain about the ways of ourself. Psychological intelligence is undergirded by this simple concept, my story, your story, our story. I've adapted this from Brene Brown. I believe this is the ultimate goal of psychological intelligence, to know my story, to learn about your story, and to create our story. Sometimes our story overlaps with someone else's for five reactive minutes in a coffee shop, where the our story, to put it bluntly, is a shit show. Other times, my story, your story, and our story overlaps for a few years through coaching or mentoring. Or sometimes, our story overlaps throughout a lifetime when we've been married for 50 years. Our story, as I will share with you in a few minutes, does not mean we always end up in agreement. It means we end up understanding why we don't agree. We agree to disagree. This type of connection, my story, your story, our story, leads us to feeling more coherent, more energized, and more stable in the relationships that we have. Yes, these are three of the five words in Siegel's River of Mental Wellness. A mind that is flexible and adaptive is absolutely necessary when it comes to building psychological intelligence. I have seen many people whose minds are rigid or chaotic, and they really struggle in learning these life skills. When things don't make sense around us, 
using psychological intelligence at times can help us gain more clarity. Sometimes we might not like what we see or learn, but if we're more honest and view the situation, the experience, or a person we're in conflict with, we often can be pointed in a healthier direction. Okay, I have gone on and on trying to help you understand psychological intelligence. Now let me give you some examples. I received a phone call from a couple who said they needed a one or two session consult. They found themselves in a constant loop of blaming and untaming their emotions. My words, not theirs. They were nitpicking each other about little things like being late, watching TV, and no longer being fun. They shared that these types of interactions were rare in their relationship until the last few months. They were given my name by someone and wanted to come in before the cancer spread. Their words, not mine. In 35 years, I have never had a couple call for preventative maintenance, so I was very intrigued. They came to my office, and before they dove into the traditional pointing of fingers, I gave them a very brief understanding of psychological intelligence and then shared with them Brene Brown's insight from many years ago. She said, when we are hurting, we tell ourselves a story that makes sense of our pain. We all do this, and it happens instantaneously. What we don't do is check out our stories. Instead, we take the hurt, fear, pain, or whatever, and just keep on mind writing, as I call it, and never stop to see if the story we are making up is accurate. So I asked them to do a simple exercise. For the next few minutes, I asked them to write out the story they are telling themselves about the current problem in their relationship. I asked them to limit it to three to five sentences. They dove right in and soon handed me these responses. Partner number one, my story. You have no idea what it's like to work in a hospital during a pandemic, to confront death on a daily basis, death that in many cases could have been avoided. Then I come home and you are critical of me for not being a good partner and a good parent. No matter what I do at work or at home, I am a failure. I feel like giving up. Partner number two, my story. I don't know how much more I can give. The demands of your job are spelling into our home life, and I'm sick of it. You're so moody. You're practically sucked dry. I have my job, which is not saving lives, but it's still important to me. I'm sick of your job taking all the fun out of our life. For the sake of progress, I did not have them read each other's first drafts. Way too much blaming and unclaiming going on here for the discussion to be fruitful. Instead, I said, I next want you to take your story and I want you to replace the you's with I's. For example, you have no idea what it's like to work in a hospital during a pandemic is now expressed as I want to share with you my experience of working in a hospital in a pandemic. I asked them to shift from blaming to claiming so they are more able to share their experience in a direct way. This means that we must accept that our partners are not mind readers and that it is our job 
to give the information we want them to have. This helps us to also tend and befriend our own experience. Here's what they wrote. Partner number one. Can I share with you what it's like to work in a hospital almost two years into a pandemic? From the minute I get there to the minute I come home, it is nonstop. While we have plenty of PPE, what we don't have is energy and trust. I saw one of my colleagues sitting in the break room crying, and I had to walk by. I had no energy to put towards her because I was getting ready to go into a room with an angry patient who was refusing treatment. Patients used to trust me. They used to look to me for treatment. Now they come in telling me what to do, and all I can do is give them information they do not want to hear. I would quit tomorrow, but I want to keep our home. I want to save for our children's college, and I want to finish paying off our school loans. Just writing this makes me so sad, but it also gives me pause, and it forces me to realize how hard this really is. Partner number two, I am heartbroken. I really am. I have always loved our upbeat and fun ways. I liked coming home to you on your days off, where dinner was started, the kids' homework was done, and music was blaring. Where is all that gone? I am so worried. You sleep a lot. You sit on the couch with the kids and watch TV, something you never did. Actually, something you used to preach against doing. I know the pandemic is really, really hard, but I want you to leave it at the office. I want you back. Seeing you this way makes me feel so afraid inside. I don't know what to do to help you, to help us. I feel lost, a bit untethered. And I think I'm throwing it at you in anger and blame because I really just don't know what to do. Wow. Round one, the story we tell ourselves is usually our reaction to a situation. It may have some truth in it, but it certainly is not the whole truth. Round two is rooted in more self-reflection and awareness, not only of oneself, but of the situation they are in through no fault of their own, a pandemic. I had them read the round two reflections out loud to each other. You can hear the healthcare worker almost be surprised at the sadness that surfaced two years into the pandemic. As partner one finished, his eyes were filled with tears and his partner immediately gave a hug and said, I am so sorry. I did not really understand. There was such sweet intimacy in this moment. No fixing, but connecting and supporting. Then she looked at me and she said, I don't know how to let him be so needy. Can you help me? I gently responded, Of course. Just ask him what he needs. She timidly said, what do you need? He immediately said, I need us to stop pretending that this is not hard. I need us to stop pretending that we should live a normal life like we had two years ago, when in reality, we are living in a pandemic where nothing is normal or predictable. I need us to look at our life and cut some of the tasks and activities out so I can have more downtime to recover. 
it's helpful for me to watch TV with the kids as a way to unwind and think about nothing. I want you to not be critical, but I also need to not be critical. If you could only hear what I'm saying to myself inside, I need to figure out how to take care of my anger and sadness as well as my fatigue. I just don't know how to do it at this point in the pandemic. My job has changed so drastically. I want to treat something else besides COVID. I got so happy the other day when a patient came in for routine stitches. I need you to know this is not your fault, even though sometimes I take it out on you. I'm really sorry. I really am and I want to work on this. He then started to laugh and he said, Oh my God, I have no idea where this is all coming from. What people have taught me is with a little bit of time and pointed in the right direction, most people can put deeper and more accurate words to their story. Yet we're often afraid to name the truth first to ourself, let alone to another, even if they are trusted. The truth can make us feel vulnerable, needy, and out of control. So no wonder we turn to blaming and unclaiming. What we have to understand is we can deal with the sucky truth directly because if we don't, it will spill out indirectly in ways that can be harmful to ourselves, to others, and relationships we care about. When partner number two read her second version, her partner's reaction was, I had no idea you could see this in me. I thought I was doing a good job hiding it. He went over and hugged her and said, I don't mean to scare you. I will be fine. But to get there, I sometimes need to not be fine. It takes courage to own our own story. It takes courage to listen to another story, disciplining ourselves to see it through their lens, not ours. I hope you can see how valuable it was for this couple to admit that they were struggling and reach out for help. In doing this, they gave themselves permission to be more direct with what was going on. Like most of us, the story they initially told themselves was filled with blame, but their high-level psychological intelligence helped them be able to put words to their story and move almost immediately to create a story where they stated what they needed and found common ground. Where most of us get stuck is disciplining ourselves to listen to their story through their lens, not ours. This is really, really hard from both personal and professional experience. Most people have to make a commitment to take off their glasses so they can hear another person's story from that person's perspective or it just won't happen. Let me give you an example of this. A few years ago, I was teaching this process to a group of college freshmen. It was a small class, so there was lots of discussion. After giving the definition and explaining the psychological part of self, I told them that their homework was to apply this process, my story, your story, our story, to something that had recently happened in their life. Immediately, one of the students raised his hands and said, I have the best example. Can I say it now? Since I like developing delayed gratification, especially in 18-year-olds, I said, do your homework 
and you can share it in class in two days. On the way out of class, he said to me, you'll get my homework in the next 15 minutes. A man true to his word, when I checked my email, his homework was waiting for me. This is what he wrote. My story. I came to college with a hometown girlfriend. I thought I would marry her. Unfortunately, I got a little carried away with all the newness and beautiful girls, and I went out on her the first weekend. I felt so bad that I told her. I apologized like crazy and took full responsibility. Her story. My girlfriend broke up with me and did not give me any credit for telling her the truth. Our story. I think she should have given me another chance because I did tell her the truth. I did not have to tell her I was with another girl, but did so because I knew it was wrong and I love her. Had I not told her, we would still be together and both oh so happy. Please remember, this is an 18-year-old with a brain halfway to adulthood, though sometimes I've seen adults with the same thought process. I love this story because it demonstrates what I have seen in my office a million times. Your story using the lens of my story. Now, I really want you to understand this. We do not develop the psychological part of self by seeing someone else's story through our lens. We need to step out of our shoes, remove our glasses, and really see it from their perspective. Sometimes this leads to empathy, but always to a deeper understanding of that person and the situation. I could not let his email go unanswered because I know in the world of adolescent romance, if I had waited two days, so much could have happened. So I emailed and I said, this is a good start. And I explained how he needs her to explain to him why she was not giving him points for being honest or using Brene Brown's words, check out your story, kid. I encouraged him to show her this process that he is learning and what he wrote. He did this, and a few hours later, he sent me a copy of the text his former girlfriend had sent him. That sounds like a cool class. I grew up in a marriage where my dad had lots of affairs. My mom was never able to leave, and my brothers and I have a pact that if someone goes out on us, we won't stay in the relationship. I love you, but I have to love myself more. The next day, he turned in the assignment, and this is his update. Our story. If I break someone's trust in me, I have to pay the consequences. They do not owe me a second chance. I am sad we have broken up, but I am glad that she did not throw away her trust in herself. I want to be more like her, a person I can trust. I had not even considered that I broke trust in me until she mentioned that she could not take me back without breaking trust in herself. I think I have learned a big but painful lesson. I lost a very, very good person. Whoa, can you imagine how different adult relationships would be if teens had the clarity and accountability of this young woman and the social, emotional education of this young man? The psychological part of self begs us to think in 3D. My story, your story, our story. Own your story, tend and befriend, notice on the inside. Trust me, you can do this.
This type of inner work pays huge dividends, but it won't just happen. We have to use our emotional regulation skills, our social intelligence, and our desire to do right instead of be right to develop the muscle of psychological intelligence. So as you move through your week, look for a time when you are having a difference with someone you care about instead of ramping up or avoiding. Take a breath, move your awareness to your feet, calm your body and clear your mind and say, can I check something out with you? The story I'm telling myself is, this is your inner challenge.